But we've got another wonderful guest coming up. But before we move on, I want to give this some proper air to breathe. We definitely encourage you guys out there as game developers to look left, look right. Those people next to you are, you know, coworkers. Those people next to you are people who are helping you create great product who will then go out and sell to or give away to people who are getting 10 to 15 to 20 minutes of life escape. You know, so we do good things as game developers. Like what we're actually doing is helping people enjoy themselves in life, giving them reasons to do something other than deal with maybe a problem or a concern or a care that is like really dragging them down. I know I do. Like I play games all the time whenever I get sad, frustrated, upset. It helps me to, you know, feel better. (laughs) So the whole reason why I'm saying all of that is because of the work that we do being good, I think that the people who do the work therefore should also feel good as well. So when I look left and right and I see the people who help me do such thing, uh, I definitely want them to be taken care of as well as myself. I want employee-employer relationships to be better. We, I think I speak for Brandon and myself when I say this, but we started the Game Dev Unchained podcast because we wanted the industry to be held accountable to the bad things that happen, but also praised for the good things that happen. And we feel like if we lower the bottom and raise the top, that helps obviously on both ends. And so that's what we're all about here. So that's why we would bring Emma Kinema and Game Workers Unite to really kick things off here because we're going to continue to beat that dead horse that we got to take care of each other, not just employees working together, but employers and employees working together. It, it can't be competitive. It, it can't be so selfish and like, oh, you know, keep laying off all these people, but announcing record profits like that can't be the way. Layoff cadence can't be the thing. You know what I mean? Like, I hate that we even say that, you know, so. All right, okay, I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. Uh, I'm sorry. Just, I'm going to cut to Brandon because I think he was trying to signal me and I totally couldn't hear it. Say it one more time, buddy. Oh, awesome, yeah. Well, it's a good time to talk about our sponsors and everything in between. I was like, right? yeah, your mic works too. My mic works too, <laughs> but I'm like whispering to this guy. Of course, you know, that's part of the fun, right? Uh, so, uh, of course, this could not happen without the special sponsors of Perforce. Obviously, you've been in the game industry for a long, long time. Perforce is the the best version control. Uh, We actually had uh, Perforce on, right, Uh, to kind of talk about the different uses right now. So Perforce is originally attributed to larger companies, like 300 plus people. It's definitely how I started in the industry using that program. But uh, they have recently, in recent years, have been targeting smaller companies, yeah. smaller groups yep. even. And uh, what's the great deal they have? So, you know, if you have five people working on a game together, Perforce is like, you know what? Go on ahead and get that Perforce for free. You guys don't need to sign up or pay anything. They've made their, their software basically accessible so that any team from one to five people can actually use it for free. You can get Perforce set up on a computer. Everybody can check in, check out. You get source control on your project, whether it's software, whether it's just a book that you're writing, like it doesn't really matter. As long as you need to have source control over whatever you're doing, Perforce is great. And they sponsored us, so obviously I'm gonna say great things. Shout out to Perforce. We could not, we literally could not have done this without your contribution. So beyond all the jokes and smiles, dude, seriously, everyone at Perforce, thank you very much for making this possible because you're helping us help game developers and that means a lot to me personally, so. So, why, Larry, let's introduce our next uh, next guest. Yeah, speaker. and through the magic of camera transitions, you'll see that I have a lovely lady behind me. Her name is Miss Brianna Pratchett. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Brandon, not as lovely, but he's I over there, too. Oh, she... I can't, I can't see you. I can just see me. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right, so if you... So that means also the audience can only see her. No, no. Oh, we no, should be good? able to oh, see you right okay. now. Are you on right now? Are you able to see us? I can just see my screen. No, right, well, I can't hear you though. I'm going to do the old ass Twitch. Yep, on Twitch, it looks like all three of us are there. Okay, I promise you, you're good and we're good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're just going to go by our voice right now. So, uh, Rihanna, obviously you've been on the podcast before, but why don't you give us and our watchers out there, people watching the, the, the stream right now, a little bit about yourself before we get started? Oh, okay. Well, well, going way back, I've been a gamer since I was two years old. I studied journalism and ended up joining the, the late great PC Dome magazine as an editorial assistant. And I spent a couple of years going around the world, uh, together. Um, and then in about 2002, I left full-time employment, went freelance again, 
and was offered a job at uh, Larian Studios uh, making disability games. And they were looking for a native English speaker to kind of help them polish their dialogue uh, for a disability. And I'd been a big fan of their, their previous game called Divine Divinity, um, which is terrible name to themselves. And they kind of gradually got and I, I didn't know anything about doing the job. <laughs> uh, I never met anyone like me. I never, uh, I was a journalist. No one ever sat me down and said, "This is our writer," or even "This is like our designer or piece of the project." There was like no one really talked about it, but obviously it was being done. It wasn't really being talked about or focused on. Uh, and obviously, Larian like. Uh, of RPGs, and so I spent uh, quite a bit of time on that. It took me a long time, um, and then uh, I, I I hope I'm still on because it stopped. I, I can stop stopped hearing you now, so I'm going to keep going and assume that um, everything's fine. No, we're still uh, here. Sorry, I just pulled the audio oh, down. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so after, after that, I kind of thought, oh, this is a more interesting way of paying the bills than the kind of endless pitching of articles. And so I basically took my contacts that I made as a journalist and um, I went to them and said, look, I'm doing this, this kind of work now. I'm working on narrative. Uh, do you need any help? And that pretty much um, sort of kick-started me off and I got lots of little bits of work. I worked on a Spongebob game. I worked on a Pac-Man game. Um, I worked on a Strongholds game. And I just kind of kept building things up, getting more experience, working on uh, level dialogue, on barks, on yeah, dialogue. Was Did you hear all that? Yeah, yes, we yeah, definitely yeah. hear. We're Did so taking notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so we, um, we've, we've taken off our camera, but we're still here with the microphone with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, was there a problem with the camera? Oh. No, no. We want we want down. the focus to be on you. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So where are they? So I used the uh, the contacts and, and found bits and pieces of work. And then I just kind of built up my CV, not really having a trajectory because I didn't have any maps for the territories. I just kind of made it up as I went along and I took work here and there where it seemed interesting or maybe friends wanted me to do it and uh, that was until I got work on Heavenly Sword which is one of the earlier PS3 titles with Ninja Theory who've obviously gone gone to great things um, most recently with Hellblade um, and that was my first experience of sort of very cinematic storytelling in games and I think that really kicked up my career a few notches and from there just uh just started growing even more. I worked on the Overlord games. I worked on Mirror's Edge. Um, I'm probably most known for working on the Tomb Raider games, um, the first Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider. Been working on the last game, and kind of, yeah, I, I guess that's, that's pretty much it. So I'm sort of mainly a writer, but also call myself a designer as well because I've done quite a bit of that in the past. And now I do bits and pieces of games work, but I, I work a lot in, in film and TV development, work in comics, mm. and yeah, it's been so, a, a long interesting. As the designer on the group, allow me to officially welcome you to day one of GDUX. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, I'd also like to say a special shout out to everyone in the Twitch audience who is letting us know when we mess up. Like you guys are critical, <laughs> so thank you very much to everybody in Twitch. Now, officially, we brought you here today. It says uh, you're gonna, you've had a successful career in narrative design as a script writer who's worked on notable titles, like you've said, such as Tomb Raider and Heavenly Sword. Today, your talk will be focused on discussing where you want to work on your own terms without being constrained to location and creativity. Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to preface this, right? Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> you I mean, warm up me in front well, of everybody. Well, that's, that's a good warm up. <laughs> But, like, th these are things, like, being in the industry for a long time, right? I, I always go back to the three three points that every developer wants to hit, right? Mm -hmm. Well, creative freedom is obviously you want to be able to work on a game that you like. Uh, Location-free, I want to work wherever I want to work, which 100%. is Rihanna 
the focus of your talk. And the third one is, of course, yeah. I would say the first one would be financial stability. Of course, we want to be able to live till the next yeah. month. I think that is the holy grail of being a successful game developer. If you hit all three of those, you're pretty happy. Yeah. But like most of my career, I feel like I maybe hit one and a half like to two maybe. Sacrificing something. There's a sacrifice in something. And so uh, it's so great that you, you, Rihanna, were able to kind of navigate through the industry and and I think what do you say is it like a build up of your resume the contacts and networking that finally allowed you to finally call the shots on where you want to do mm, yeah I mean it's I'm not sure whether too many guys would ever get to call the shots but um, certainly call the shots on the trajectory of my career and for me that's really meant um giving up power for freedom so I don't get the power that a writer like Neil Druckmann or Amy Hennig or Ken Levine does the the hard power on a team to to be able to say okay we're doing it this way uh and 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 kind of bringing everyone together to to support a vision um I'm kind of lower down the food chain than that and uh I work with people that have hard power but I always work freelance i go on to to site um for a few uh weeks at a time several times during the project i always say that i um i go off site to write and i come on site to fight so when i go on site it's usually kind of getting getting all the the battles out the way getting the story problems out the way lots of brainstorming but the office environment isn't very conducive to writing, um, especially me, because I like to kind of get under my duvet and sort of ha- make everything very dark and then think very hard and then kind of burst out with the ideas. That's the theory anyway. Um, and that's that was not that doesn't really work very well in the office environment. They're not very duvet friendly. Um, so being able to go home to my own space and, and work on things has been very useful and I think that's why even though the industry is moving towards having um, writers on staff a lot which is very important having writers off staff off staff freelance who can actually just completely focus on the work that don't have to consider themselves with with office politics and endless meetings they're just focused on the writing uh, has been very valuable um, on Tomb Raider, it's pretty much I was the only off-site person. With Rise, we expanded that to two, two on-site people, two off-site people, and we we kind of worked together. And the off-site people were generally they were the ones that could iterate over and over again on scenes. They could they could move the fastest uh, in terms of, of the writing work because they weren't bogged down by everyone else. Obviously, it means that you have to have a very good. Um, Sec, you know, people on on the inside basically to to kind of be the conduit between you and the designers, uh, especially on the big teams. Um, sometimes on smaller teams, you will actually be able to have that kind of one to one interaction. You know, the, the technology has made the world a smaller place, so it could be like via um, various kinds of messengers or file convergence systems. When I worked on Overlaw, we did everything through Tortoise SVN and, and ICQ back in the day, and that kind of actually worked quite well. So you can still feel like a, a team member even if you're working remotely. Yeah, I mean, like uh, the, the two jobs in particular, the two disciplines that I always we go. get jealous. <laughs> this is a Here good thing. Go. <laughs> this is jealousy, right? I love how the concept artists are always able to work outside the office and uh, be away from everything and uh, narrative designers or writers. Those are the two disciplines I feel can be offsite. Not because we don't like them, but because I think they need that alone time to really uh, be creative about. Get better results because, yeah. if anything, design by committee hurts the creative process. Could you right? imagine writing by committee? Writing by committee. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I imagine how much. Believe me, that happens quite a lot. Uh, story by committee and writing by committee still happens. How does it even work? It's like you like, get other everyone than just wants to be live, right? Like, I <laughs> yeah. think it, I can always see it as a tragedy. <laughs> it's yeah. the only. If it's not improv. If it's not sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, well, it, it's more. T- the levels of feedback that you you get on your writing so that it it certainly on something like rise of the tomb raider 
it was just a headwind of constant feedback the whole time. So as well as my other fellow writers in the in the team, there would be contractors um, and there would be internal testers, external testers. There was Microsoft, there was Square Enix um, and, and, and several levels of team members as well, all giving feedback on the script. Um, and we opened up the script very early for feedback, which is ah, oh, that's painful for a writer because it's sort of like not even quite first draft. And usually with your, if you're working on a, a screenplay, you'll show your first draft to, to maybe uh, two or three people for, you know, maybe four or five, uh, depending on how many are in the mix. But this was open to lots of people the whole time. It's like open, like narrative open heart surgery. And it was it was kind of raw and very uh challenging i think as a writer um but you know we, we we made it through and i think opening up the script early on meant that we could um foresee some of the, the problems that might occur um and and kind of maybe issues of the story we could we could see them earlier uh, and i think that that really helped because we had some problems with that with the first game where gameplay changed the tone and um we ended up having to make some kind of 11th hour narrative decisions because um, the, the, the tone had changed from what we'd originally intended. So we had to kind of tinker around with things at the, you know, as I said, the 11th hour and we were trying to um, prevent that happening with rise. And so we, we kind of opened things up very early, but like from a writer's point of view, it was, it was, it was hard. So I actually, um, I do want to kind of touch on something because we were joking about writing by committee earlier, but it did actually lead into feedback, which is very important critically across any discipline, right? Like even programming, you have buddy checks, Yeah. Like you're going to get feedback no matter what you do. Um, Whether you want it or not. But she, she touched on something that actually I wanted to dig deeper. And she says, when I present like my work and I know they're giving me feedback, she's like, it's, it's just first draft. And I know that they're going to comment on it. Yeah. And it like, like that, that, that side that she took there, you know, as a professional, I guess first draft for you, you automatically know you've got more in depth more coming. These are like you, yeah. loose ideas just strung together. I guess how hard is it for people who are non-writers, right? When they're giving you feedback, like how hard is it for you, I guess, in that area to be like, dude, you don't even like, you, you, give, you, them don't even know. you give them one of these looks, yeah, yeah. Like, uh-huh, can, I'm listening. if you don't mind, can you take me through some of that for, for the audience sake? Not because I want to know for the audience. Well, <laughs> everyone going to be giving you feedback don't know that much about storytelling and and writing because the narrative literacy of the industry is quite low when compared to other entertainment forms and that's not being mean to the industry it's never had to be particularly high so um in certain genres of games adventure games rpgs uh there's been higher narrative literacy but um, when you kind of work elsewhere, you see that pretty much everyone involved has a very strong sense of storytelling. You know, they might have different tastes to you. They might give feedback in in a way that you're not comfortable with. But by and large, they, they kind of, there's a, a strong understanding of storytelling, of characterization, and that's not necessarily there in games. Um, so you'll be getting a lot of feedback, as you say, from people that aren't really experienced in giving story feedback that aren't experienced in reading scripts um and that can be really difficult in fact most of the people that you get a lot of feedback from won't be experienced in doing it so i think we we dealt with it on rise by having uh, john stafford who is a senior narrative designer who's now the nar- uh, a narrative director at crystal he was kind of get the gatekeeper for the feedback so he would kind of take it all in and then filter out the ones that he thought um were we needed to work on um and so he became like a tank for for feedback just kind of soaking it all in and then sort of just parceling it out to me and and to the other writers in in a kind of digestible form um but there there was still a certain amount of of kind of writing in headwind uh and so that was kind of difficult i think it speaks to the fact that I've, I believe, I strongly believe that we all need to become better storytellers in games, that it's not just about the writing uh, it's or even just the design. It's about every discipline, I think, can, um, has something to contribute to the narrative of the world. So whether that's animation, whether that's art, 
music, level design, what have you, it all folds into the narrative of the world. And, and the more we become well-versed in storytelling, the more we can kind of understand how all the component parts come together to support a narrative. And I think we're getting better at this. And I think we're getting better at um, putting together teams where you're going to be getting feedback from your peers. Um, and, you know, you, you have a, a strong kind of writer's room vibe. Um, but, you know, you're still going to get situations where you're the only writer on on a, on a game. Uh, when I did Overlord, I did everything that was to do with writing on it, even down to weapon text. And I was the only writer there. I don't think I had a narrative designer for the first game. I think I kind of did it myself. And then there was a, a narrative designer for the second game. And we sort of, you know, made it up as we went along, which I guess is all storytelling, really. But um, we, we kind of just tried it and see uh, and to see what would work. And I had quite a close relationship with the designers on Overlord. I also uh, worked on the, the direction. I co-directed the first game and directed the second, which allowed me to have more control. Um, and that's, you know, writers love that. Um, so I was able to take my words from the page and cast it and um, and work with the actors in the studio, which was really, really satisfying to do. And I think that's why a lot of uh, writers, if they're creative directors or game directors, often get involved in the uh, the studio side of things and working with actors because it is a, it's another way of kind of holding on to the narrative. Man, you're, you're killing it today. And I'm going to keep firing more writing questions because th these are questions that I want to know personally for myself. But next one for you is when you consider a lot of teams, right, we'll have creative directors who kind of lay the branches of like their whole story. And then they'll bring in an external writer who is supposed to take like, all right, here are my vague ideas or here's what I've been able to string together and some like base characters. Now go tell my story, right? Like that must be a tall feat. And they trust that you're going to do it better than they would have. And they'll blame you if you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you can you give yeah. us some insight on kind of being in that type of a situation? Well, it, there's, there's the expression, why, why buy a dog and do the barking yourself? Um, you do get situations where you sort of realize, oh, okay, I'm, I'm here to write their brilliant idea. And I'm kind of more or less a glorified secretary for... Uh, expressing their brilliant idea um thankfully myself i haven't had too many situations like that i've certainly spoken to to many other writers um throughout the years who who have um and it is quite it is quite difficult but but usually you just have to kind of talk it all out and find out what is important to them about the story what really resonates with them what what they what they love about it what they want to say what they what what kind of gets them hyped up about the characters. And yeah, it's just kind of listening and communicating it and kind of bring it all together. And um, certainly working in games has helped me for, for so long has helped me be able to write my way out of, of so many different corners over the years. And it's made me kind of really robust and flexible, um, which has really helped moving on and moving into other industries as well. Um, so it's just a case of, of finding out, um, treating everyone with respect and finding out what, what resonates with them um, in terms of the story, kind of what, what they want to say uh, and, and just pulling, pulling everything together. You always get a, you know, I know I've talked about this before, the, the box of narrative body parts pushed across the table to you when you start and you never quite know what's going to be in there, but you've got to build a story from it. And it might be some backstory. It might be some art. There's often a lot of art that has no character and you will have to um, put the, the character into the character. Um, Faith, for example, in Mirror's Edge was just a visual piece of art. I'm not even sure if she had a name. She was just a piece of artwork that had been done alongside a lot of other artwork when I think Mirror's Edge was originally designed or, or thought of as being a kind of cops and robbers style game. And they just did a bunch of artwork, lots of different kind of cool cops and robbers look. And she was just pulled out going, yeah, she looks cool. Maybe she can be our, our protagonist. And she had, there was no kind of sense of who she was. But then that was sort of mirrors edge to a degree at the time I came on board. So a lot had been designed with no narrative in mind. So the, the kind of game had been plotted out, the levels had been plotted out, the, the mechanics had been plotted out without anyone 
thinking too much about why why the world looks like this why faith moves through the world like this how how everything came to be so you kind of have to like take what's there and weave a story out of it it's like the narrative equivalent of those cooking shows where you get a load of mysterious ingredients and then you have to make a meal out of it it's a little bit like that um and yeah certainly with mirror's edge it was kind of getting in there seeing what was there what the parameters were what, uh, and you know the what i had to support uh what gameplay was there and just almost working backwards taking where the character had to be and and kind of winding it back and and which is the complete opposite to how you'd work in other mediums and just filling filling everything in and, and kind of fleshing out the bones All right, so you'll have to forgive me one last time. This is going to be my last self-indulgent question for you, I promise. Um, kind of going into pop culture and then also pulling from games as well, we kind of see this, like, entitlement in the fans, right? And I, I don't even want to use the word entitlement because, like, I can understand. So I'm, I'm talking about Game of Thrones here and Mass Effect 3 ending where people are like, oh, we've invested so much. We've been along this ride. How could you do us like that? Mm -hmm. We demand that you recreate your ending or we you recreate your last season <laughs> because we say so i guess from the writer's perspective right putting yourself in their shoes i guess how do you personally feel about situations like that oh that's a difficult question to ask and possibly a slightly dangerous question to answer um don't incriminate yourself <laughs> i'm I, sorry <laughs> no i i think you you put as an audience member you put your trust in creators to to kind of create the best possible experience for you um i think it's a little bit different with games i didn't i didn't play mass effect 3 so i don't know what the old ending was and, and what was changed and how much was changed and how um much that affected the game um but i i can see i think your, your choices from if i'm right in remembering your choices in the first two games played at were supposed to play out in the ending of of the third and so there was a literal kind of investment in in the shaping the story that had happened with the players so i can kind of see it more in mass effect and it's it's probably a little bit easier for developers to address that because of things like dlc and and, and patches um to to kind of address those sort of things so i think it's an interesting case i think with something like game of thrones or um the, the Last Jedi, for example, that I know went through similar things. Um, yeah, I can I can see why you know decisions were made that the, the fans didn't always agree with. But that's that's kind of being an audience member. That that's kind of storytelling. That is 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 kind of going on the ride. It won't always end up in in the place that you hoped it might. Uh, the characters might not end up doing what what you would have found most satisfying and that that's kind of how it works you you put your trust in creators and and you see where it takes takes you and you're you're on a you're on a journey um and i i kind of the the kind of petitioning to to kind of you know reshoot a, a whole movie again or a tv series again i i just it it's i find it a little bit chilling as as a writer um and, you know, I, I kind of understand the kind of individual frustrations, but also I remember like Lost and, and the kind of endings of Lost and how people were very you know disappointed in that. I don't remember there being a petition to kind of change the ending of Lost. And, you know, I you invested, I think, possibly even more time than Game of Thrones or a similar amount of time. Um yeah, it's it's a little bit chilling as a writer, but I think that that is the unspoken contract between you as an audience member and creators. You know, if if they disappoint you, then you know, write write reviews or or like don't support their work or the you know there are um, ways of feedback that aren't kind of petition based. Um, and yeah, it's I, I kind of yeah the 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 sort the kind of whole. You know, you must change everything because we don't like it. When there was plenty of people in both the cases that liked it, it's like, so what What happens to the ones that already like it? Do they have to have a counter petition? Like, I don't, I don't see what they hope to achieve. I can understand that they were disappointed, but I don't know what the petition was supposed to achieve. Um, but, 
yeah, <laughs> uh, chilling. Chilling is the word I think I would use for for that as as a creative. Um, but I'd be I'd, I'd be interested to see if there's any kind of feedback to it. I imagine they won't be, but you know that's that's the really thing. I promise I won't ask any more hot seat, you know, no. uh, contemporary times questions or current events stuff. But uh, what I would like to ask is kind of going back into the subject of why we're bringing you here today. There's a lot of people who are watching Twitch, YouTube around the world who are interested in writing, who are interested in becoming game writers, who who aren't your level yet, right? But obviously they have to stand out probably even more so because they don't have a resume behind them. They don't have like, oh, I worked on this, I worked on that. Great, you've done this before, we'll hire you. I guess, do you have like one or two like golden nuggets for the, hey, I think I can write really well, but I want to do this for games, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, what would your like, you know, 10 second, 20 minute or two minute, uh, you know, support speech like, hey kid, this is what you got to do. You got to blank <laughs> yeah it's 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 a difficult answer because I don't think and the path I took was very unique to me I started as a journalist I used the contacts that I had as a journalist to um get work in in an area of the industry that wasn't particularly full of writers and now there's a lot of uh, writers there's a lot more writers out there about half of them are ex-games journalists like myself and so I think there's a lot more competition, whereas I was operating in a time where uh, lots of people didn't even realize they needed writers. Um, so I think things have changed a lot more. Um, and so, but my advice is, is more or less still the same, which is, which is write. Uh, if, if you want to, to be a writer, then write. Um, you know, write short stories, write poems, go, go on courses, um, just, uh, keep honing your skills. A writer writes. Keep keep honing. Keep keep tinkering away. You never stop learning as a writer. You should never think. There's no point in in your life as a writer where you think, yeah, that's it. I know everything there is to know about writing. Like that that does not and should not ever happen. Like I I myself like next month I'm going to a a TV screenwriting course. Now I I already write. Um, you know, screenplays for TV and I develop stuff for TV, but, but I kind of want to, want to see how much I understand um, because, you know, I'm positive syndrome's rife. So sometimes I instinctively know things and I kind of want to track back and understand why I'm thinking the way I do. And, and it's, it's a, you know, I'm always wanting to kind of learn more and learn the mechanics behind some of the instincts I have. Um, and so that, that's kind of really useful. So write a lot, read, um, read, uh, around your subject, uh, read heavily around your subject, nonfiction, be interested in the world, be interested in people, um, be a sponge for stories, uh, wherever they might be. Um, you know, your local newspaper can be a, a kind of wealth of little stories and ideas, um, history, folklore, uh, politics, um, everything in, in, in human history is, is rich with things. So don't just, uh, don't just play games, although that is important. Look at other storytelling forms, nonfiction, theatre, opera, musicals, everything. Um, as I said, be a sponge. Um, and network, like networking, although I did it as a journalist, was very important to me. So things like develop GDC, which is uh, just just been and gone. Um, and you've got Nordic Game. You've got um, all sorts of games, Gamescom as well, all over the world. And more often than not, these conferences will have talks about narrative. Um, GDC in San Francisco has two-day narrative summit. And that's where the brightest and the best who are working in narrative at the moment, so narrative designers, writers, narrative directors, storyboard artists, talk about the projects they've worked on and a lot about problems they've had and how they overcame them. And um, that can be really sort of satisfying to hear when you kind of hear like behind the scenes, you, you start to hear a little bit more about how the sausage is made really. And um, that's, I, I, I fully recommend that obviously, um, UDC is not the cheapest place to go to. We've also got develop in the UK, um, reaching out, making contacts, making friends, um, you know, networking and contacts, they're, they're kind of somewhat uncomfortable words, especially 
sometimes if you're a writer maybe a little bit more introverted um and don't necessarily find networking easy um the online world is, is great for networking uh forums modding communities um getting involved in indiegogo or kickstarter games as well just just finding your people um can be very helpful um so it's, it's kind of really those those things it's, it's read and write uh, network and, and play lots of games, play all kinds of games and look at the, the different ways narrative is used, particularly the ways that are unique to games. So um, the ways that you know, using mechanics or level design to, to tell or enhance the story is something that's very unique to games. Um, so just, yeah, look, play, play right in network, basically. So, Rihanna, you've, uh, thank you very much for answering all of my personal questions. Again, I have to say thank you because you've answered like three <laughs> just for me. Um, but I can't be selfish here. We're doing this for the devs out there. So we have a huge audience on Twitch that's actually kicking out really good questions. Uh, Brandon, if you want to pull up the feed, I'm going to cut to you. Yes. Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, so these are questions from our Twitch audience. And, of course, uh, we have our little birds in there. So if you want to ask a question to Rihanna, this is the time to do it. This is a rare chance. Uh, so uh, this is from Mage Carlin. Generally speaking, when applying to narrative positions, is it better to show writing proficiency, for example, a portfolio with lots of narrative-heavy text-based games or games with more integrated narrative and mechanics? I think you can do a little bit both um i mean, it's it's good to i hmm, i'm trying to think what what would what i would kind of want to see because when i started out and when i was kind of giving samples i uh and before i had kind of games and even if you do have games to your name sometimes people still want a sample that they can read um i'd say don't make them too long um, I used to send out when I when I sent out samples uh, a cutscene example, uh, maybe some level dialogue examples, um, maybe uh, like a, I send a comic script and a short story as well. So nothing too weighty. Uh, you can always just ask. Uh, you can say, okay, I've got these these pieces of material. Uh, what would you, what would you like to see most? Uh, make sure it's it's kind of. Obviously, it showcases your best work, but it's it's not going to be too time-consuming for for the developers to um, to to read through or to play and make sure that you know it, it's not going to require them to kind of download extra tech or something like that to play your game. It just make it you know shine, make yourself shine and make it easy. Um, I think having a variety of samples is good. Um, and also one of the things I've, I've kind of advised in the past is if you've not actually written for a game before, then um, sometimes I, I like with, with cutscenes or cinematics to kind of imagine a scene that might have taken place in a game, um, but but didn't. So if you're applying to a certain developer, look at their, the games that they've done. Um, and maybe if you know something about the, the game that they're doing and... Um, just just kind of maybe write a cutscene or something that that's complements their game style um or is is an almost like a bonus scene for one of their games for example one of the, the uh, cutscenes that i used to send out um was one for heavenly sword that i wrote for my uh kind of audition piece for heavenly sword so it was wasn't in the game and wasn't ever intended to be in the game and wasn't revolving around a scenario in the game uh, but it, it was, uh, they did want me to showcase the characters and the relationship between between the characters, which was Nurika and Shen. And it was actually one of my favourite scenes. And, and so I actually put, even though it wasn't in the game, uh, I used to use that as a sample, uh, a sample scene. So, um, yeah, tailor it to who you're sending it to. So if you're, if you're applying to a very text-heavy company then they're probably going to appreciate something that's more in more in their wheelhouse but you know don't don't be afraid to ask what they want and have have a variety of samples ready to go i have a, another question uh from robert wait zero eight i also have a small question i'm no narrative designer or writer at all a programmer but a friend of mine is a book writer so it's really him. Uh, how big is the difference between a book writer and a story writer or designer for games? He offered to help me with the story side of some games of mine. So I'm curious. 
Okay, so writing is over to unpack. here. Bubbles yeah. are here, like get right over here. <laughs> uh, completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Like an author is in, completely in control of the material. They are, uh, you know, they're, they're in control of the direction of everything. They are the, the sole architect of that material, unless obviously they're writing with someone else. You know, they might have an editor to give feedback, but they are in control of everything. In games, uh, you are not at all, unless you are the creative director or the game director, as well as the writer, and then you, you can kind of control more things. But uh, you will not, uh, as a kind of jobbing writer, as I, uh, I've been for, for most of my career, you're not in charge of the action, which is kind of, you know, that, that's a, an odd thing to realise when you come from other disciplines, because we, we talk about... F. Scott Fitzgerald said, action equals character. Uh, so what a, a character does tells you more about them than, than what they say. Uh, but in games, the action is done by a different department that might not be interacting with you very much and, and might be working to a whole other remit than, than you are, that, that have their own goals and pace to work with. And you know, they, they may be... Uh, ideally kind of dovetailing with narrative but sometimes it doesn't always go that smoothly so uh, you, you kind of have to have to deal with that um, and yeah now now uh, can you remind me of the question I've sort of gone off topic slightly I always do this at least once no, it's okay. during the uh, so <laughs> during the it issue. seems like the guy is possibly going to be working on a game and has a friend who is into writing, oh, yes, but novelist. an author more so than a game writer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think understanding that you're not in control of, of the action is quite difficult. Um, so finding ways to find out what the action is going to be, what the character is going to do, and, and kind of think about what that means for who they are. So, for example, with Mirror's Edge, the the mechanics the the ways in which the player played the game and the levels were already already established so faith parkouring over the the kind of reflective rooftops that was already established and i had to think oh, okay she's running she's running a lot let's think about why someone psychologically might choose that kind of life what under the surface are they running from what what scares them what's uh, going to make them actually stop and, and confront something um, with something like Thief, which I worked on a little bit, um, thinking about the action of stealthing, of keeping in the shadows, of, of being um, at the edges of, of life and, and never really kind of uh, taking part in it and, and kind of how that might affect a character. So looking at the action and thinking about how that, that then folds back into character, that is not necessarily quite so easy when you've got very action-heavy, gun-heavy games. Um, you know, something like Tomb Raider, The it's kind of difficult with, high, you know, fast-paced gun-based gun gameplay um, to, to kind of find enough time for kind of characterization moments. You, you can, you just have to work very, very closely with the level designers. Um, so it's kind of, it, it's getting used to the fact that you don't have as much control as if you're an author because there will be other departments and they all have their own battles to fight and they all all are kind of right, but um, you kind of need to find that sweet spot between kind of, you know, um, satisfying everyone, which can be very difficult to do because the needs of narrative do not often... Uh, kind of fit neatly with the needs of gameplay and level design or, or the needs of, of players. So you're constantly having to juggle things. So it's kind of, uh, if, if I assume I'm, I'm kind of speaking to the, to the author now, I think it's just playing lots of games and kind of understanding how mechanics, uh, level design and, and kind of story work and how everything pulls together to, to form the narrative of the world. And, and kind of looking at the action and seeing what that tells you about the character. And if it's telling you something you're not happy about with the character, then then you kind of need to, to get in there and fight that battle. Do you have another Twitch question or can I yeah. go back to... Oh, I have one, one more question. So this is from Indie Velop. 
I know there are plenty of ways of creating a narrative, but what do you find is the best way to create and modify a compelling narrative? Did you find it mainly came down to getting the audience to walk in the character's shoes, emotionally, so to speak? It really depends on the game. I don't think there's one way of doing it, which is which is great, really. And and um, you know something like Tomb Raider, where you've got a a character character, where you're not kind of role playing a character in the same way that you were with with Mass Effect, but you are stepping into the shoes of that character. Um, so like Lara Croft, like Max Payne, like like whoever, you're you're kind of stepping into those shoes. So you have to make sure that. Um, the 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 player and the player character are as closely aligned as possible, so that you know the player character does not kind of know more than the player does. That the player character is not doing cool things in a cinematic or a cutscene or whatever that the player can't do um, uh, themselves in the gameplay. You're, you're trying to kind of marry up the experiences of. Um, the the character with um the the gameplay and so uh something like papers please is really good for this is it's not actually a character um but the that you're playing in that is never kind of um you're never given a name but the way the gameplay works it puts you into the shoot it, it gives you that kind of stress and anxiety of uh, what i imagine being a board control officer is like so um looking at ways in which um the the gameplay can support the character and, and you know as I was, I, I was talking about um how how action and character marry up um so it's having that making sure that with 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 games where you have a character character make sure player the player experience and the player character experience are aligned as much as possible um with a kind of more role-playing game you're looking at um how the Gameplay affects, uh, the gameplay shapes the character. So something like Overlord, for example, which is probably the only game I've done that's a little bit more branching narrative and branching choices. So Overlord 2, you could choose different shades of evil to be. Uh, You could go kind of, there was a sort of, there wasn't really white, but there was black, blacker, and a sort of greyish colour. And those actions kind of shaped who you were and how the world reacted to you and you were a character that never actually spoke but you kind of had a history and a um a place in the world so with the overlord games i i folded the history into into the world into the environment into the characters around you uh, and i think that's what you have to do when you have a a blank blank slate character like the overlord was uh, you put you fold the story you fold the voice of the game into another form in, in overlord it was null the minion master um, and he became the kind of voice of the game. And with with that, I think humour helped a lot. Um, and humour isn't used nearly enough in games. I think it's getting a little bit better. I think there's um, many more indie games that are utilising humour. Uh, but I think that really helped us with Overlord. And it wasn't just a funny script. It was the humour was built in. It was baked in. Uh, to the animation, to the gameplay, to the art, to everything. So that helped create a compelling world, a cohesive world. Um, so that's probably, that's probably the, the kind of best experience I have. All right. And I, so I had to put a stop to Twitch to ask one last question for myself. Um, as a designer, I play a lot of other games with my consumer hat on, but then I play it again as like, okay, what can I learn? What can I pull from this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, usually you'll have games where like, uh, I thought it was cool. Then you'll have games where like, man, I'm really blown away. I have this emotional experience on top of this enjoyable gameplay experience. So I'm going to use that as a segue to then ask you a similar question. Uh, obviously, I'm assuming you play a lot of games as well since you're working on them and writing for them. I'm sure you get your hands dirty just like we do. Have there been any game experiences where that you didn't work on where like you really were taken aback or like a character was written incredibly well or a world was built very well through the writing, through the dialogue and the narrative interactions? Was there like an example game that you could say like, yeah, I really think this game did really well and I appreciated it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's different guys. I, I, I sadly don't get as much time to play as many games as I like these days because I'm also working in other other mediums so i'm actually having to do a lot of kind of watching tv watching film as well um i'm trying to think what 
book. Uh, I really enjoyed, um, and even though it didn't have a, a strong digital narrative, the environmental narrative uh, and the kind of narrative built up inside the player of the long dark. Um, and I love wilderness survival games, which are, it's, in, it's interesting because like you're kind of on your own. So there isn't usually a lot of narrative built up, but it, it's a kind of sense of place, uh, environmental storytelling um, that I, I kind of really enjoy. And I think um, uh, The Long Dark worked well for me. And I think, I, I don't know whether it's a bug or not, but um, I found that if you, if you manage to hit a wolf, uh, which is really difficult to do, the wolves that hunt you all the time, if you manage to kind of have a fight and make them run off squealing, if you, you track them in the direction you run off, they'd often be dead. So I went from being scared of wolves to kind of exploiting this possible bug. And I was like Liam Neeson at the end of the grey. I was just hunting the wolves and just living off wolf meat the entire time. Um, and that was fun. And that was a really good kind of environmental narrative experience. And I really love the Bioshock games as well. And, um, you know, that I think the first game had a big impact. And I actually, you know, I enjoyed a lot of um, the second as well, which is remarkable, really, because I dated a team member. And I think I, I look at Bioshock 2 and I think, yes, that is where my relationship went. And, and yet I can still enjoy the game and I can still see where it, it, it did great things and it, it kind of built on. What, what happened in one, I think that is, is a testament to its strength. If I, I can still, knowing what, what uh, I, I kind of went through, if I can still enjoy the game, I think that is, that is a good example. Um, I really love, again, there's the sense of place that, that really gets me. I've been replaying Far Cry 4 because I'm trying to get, I, I've got a lot of games backed up and I'm trying to get more, play more AAA games. And so I went back to Far Cry 4 because I had a, a, a real real fun with it um, the first time and the environment is, is just so gorgeous in it and I think that that resonates a lot for me and maybe it's because it's an area of storytelling that I kind of lightly touch um, so I, I can be impressed with it as a gamer but I'm not constantly thinking about it in in-depth detail um, from a kind of a, a writer's perspective and analysing everything. And so I get the space to, to enjoy it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's games with a sense of place and a real sense of the world that I like um, the, the best at the moment. Um, I really enjoyed Unavowed, Wadget Eye Games Unavowed. Um, and I was, partly because I actually purchased it the day it came out and started playing it the day it came out, which is pretty unprecedented for me. But it, it was a really good... Um, point and click uh, kind of supernatural kind of Dresden Files uh, adventure and I, I really enjoyed that and I actually managed to finish it as well and it was it was really kind of it was a really satisfying narrative and I was very impressed what they did there oh man well I'm all out of questions for me and for the Twitch audience as well again shout out to Twitch thank you guys for being so active and you know taking advantage of this opportunity to speak through us directly to top level developers uh, Rihanna Pratchett Thank you to you again for podcasting with us, but now also joining us for GDUX, helping us kick off this inaugural event with your presence and your wisdom. Uh, most importantly, your wisdom. So we really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, both of us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Rihanna. I mean, uh, narrative design, I've always started with our first time that we interviewed together. <laughs> it's always been like this this mystery to me in terms of like, uh, just just being able to do what you guys do, but also having the liberty. I think uh, you and the concept artists have the most fun, in my opinion, in, in being able to do what you guys do. Sorry. And uh, this is coming you from can an environment artist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can you say that? No, no, that's not fair. Writing, writing can, can be fun, but, you know, as I talked about, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard work involved because you're you're still a bit of a square peg in a round hole. You know, the industry is still getting to grips with using professional writers um, and, and how to work with them and how to fit them into a team and, and kind of everyone's learning about storytelling at the same time. Um, so we're, yeah, we're, we're kind of, we're getting there. There's a few teething problems and, and, you know, I, I'm envious of new writers coming in because, um, yeah, I, they, they get writers' rooms, they get mentors, they, they get a lot of the things I didn't have um, kind of growing up in the industry. I had to kind of learn and fail on my own. Yeah, and this 
this can okay. lead into a whole hour of talking, but I just want to know at least, at least your thoughts. Um, this is something like Larry and I have been discussing privately, right behind the scenes. But uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's shaking. I think his head. I know where you're going. That's what but, I'm shaking. But no, no, no. This is something else. But like uh, Netflix, interactive mediums, movies are are starting to adopt uh, choose your own adventure type of viewing. And this is very in line, I think, with narrative designers, if anything, uh, having more control back to single narrative games, uh, where where it's only, where we're mostly seeing that in the indie landscape, and the AAA is kind of there, but they're moving on more multiplayer. But like this seems to me an avenue for a lot of narrative designers and script writers out there as like the place to go next, right? Or am I just guessing? I, I think you'll get a similar problem to what writers have kind of going into games or, or, or what writers had in the kind of early days of games where, um, you know, you were dealing with studios that maybe didn't know too much about narrative or, or writing themselves. So it were kind of everyone's learning how to deal with everyone else. And, um, you know, I think TV and film companies, they're still kind of getting to grips with, with kind of how games work and, um, I think with something like obviously Bandersnatch, which has been the, the, the most famous example, I kind of think that narrative designers and writers in the industry were a bit like, well, you know, we've been doing this kind of thing for, for years and years and years. And there, there are already many more evolved stories that, that have taken, um, you know, cho- choices in a, in a kind of narrative um, even even in a kind of cinematic story to kind of great m- much greater levels than this, and there was a sort of sense maybe in the wider media of, of like, oh my god, you know, Netflix has has kind of you know it's brought this whole new type of storytelling to us, and kind of the games industry was going, no, no, actually we've been doing this for a long time, um, and so I think it was I think Bandersnatch was a, a you know a, a little bit of a trial I think it had varying results uh, but I'm glad I'm glad to see that these industries are, are kind of exploring this kind of thing I think there's going to be more opportunities for writers and I think it will get more sophisticated as as it goes along you know I remember the days of like FMVs and I got to love them I've got some some happy memories of like Wing Commander and Phantasmagoria and stuff but like the the acting and and this cinematography has improved a lot since then so thinking about about how we've improved just in our own industry um in in a kind of relatively short time frame I so I think we it's it's just baby steps for TV but as long as like Everyone is talking and listening to everyone else. Um, I th- I think it can be a good thing as long as you know there are enough writers in games that we're not all just moving over to TV. That we're still growing our own game writers that are experienced in in games and yeah. uh, want to stay in the games industry. Yeah, everyone's over here cheering. He says, "Have a great." And I'm like, "Hey, Mad Dog McCree's been out for years." So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Rihanna, again. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much. We are we are at that time. So I definitely want to say anybody who's really loved what we've done here, you can definitely go check out the podcast that we've done with her, Game Dev Unchained. Obviously, you can check out any of the games that she's mentioned. Tomb Raider's great. Actually, I've played that one, so I have experience there. I haven't played Heavenly Sword, but I definitely would like your autograph on my copy of Tomb Raider. Uh, other than that, we just really appreciate you being involved. Yes, and of course, you uh, if you're watching, you will see her Twitter handle. And if there's anything else you want to push, Rihanna, this would be your, your time. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, Lo- Lost Words Beyond the Page, which is a, a, an indie game that I've been working with, Sketchbook Games. You can find it on Twitter. Um, and it takes place, it's a, a kind of platformer, and it takes place uh, both in the pages of a young girl's journal, um, where you kind of run along her... The, the, the lines in the journal and her doodles and things become kind of puzzles and the lines themselves become the platforms and then you kind of go go through the journal into this world that she's creating to kind of deal with with some of the, the trauma she's going through in real life uh, and helping her kind of process and come to terms with that and that kind of shapes the fantasy world as well so that's called Lost Words Beyond the Page uh, and that will be out uh, later this year. This is a first for us. So again, it really means a lot that you you took the time out of your day to help us scrubs try to kick off a new platform. So 
it really means a lot. And if we're successful, yeah. we would love to have you come back. I really don't do this kind of thing normally, so it's it's kind of it's very new for me as well. So apologies if like my I, I'm just using my iPad, so it's not a very sophisticated setup here. So uh, apologies for that. No, you're 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 perfect. Once we figured out the like rotation thing last week, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> Everything is great. Yeah. Uh, so thank you again, Rihanna, and. Uh, See you next time. You next we'll, time. De- we'll definitely see you on the podcast sooner or later. Yeah, we'll, we'll high five. <laughs>